how are you doing? Good, how are you, Rob? I'm all right. I, know, I didn't get around to watching Pieces of Woman. I have to, I have to say that now. I know. Yeah. I, was, I was never really in the busy. right mood. Yeah, um, you do have to be it. in kind of that solemn kind of state, really, to be honest. But it is a really good watch and, and great acting, definitely. I'm actually after the next TV series I want to watch as well. And I might give WandaVision a go. I've watched one episode of WandaVision. Yeah, sounds actually, like a band, doesn't it? WandaVision. It's like a spin-off band of Joy Division. It's Joy Div- I was thinking a spin-off band of Wonder Stuff and Terrorvision. Isn't it Terrorvision? Or have I just made that up as a band name? You've made that up as a band name. I, I don't know. No, they're sure it's Terrorvision. Is that? I'm going to look them up. Oh yes, I'm sure. I'm going to look them up. Hang on. You've watched one mm-hmm. episode. I've watched two episodes. One of the big things going for it is that it's only 20 minutes long, which I love. And I've been told by two people now, specifically, get to episode four, and that's when it all starts to make sense and kicks in. So I'm going to basically watch the first four episodes. Yeah, the first one, I'm not, I wasn't sure. I haven't gone back to it, but I know other people have watched the, the first four and say it's getting quite interesting now. So, yes, I think I will go back to it probably at the weekend. It was quite funny because my friend who watched it said, oh, they've only done four in this series. I said, no, they're releasing it one, one every week, a bit like uh, The Mandalorian. So I don't know where it's going to go. So I'm, in, I'm intrigued. No, me too. And I'm not like a huge Marvel Universe fan, so I'm just kind of going with it. Anyway, so Sarah, have you got a quiz? I, I've got. <laughs> I'm going to make it up on the spot. Put me on I the love spot. It. Winging How it. Organised the ride this week. Winging it. As, <laughs> winging it as we love to winging do. Winging it. Yeah, winging it. Okay, name me. Yeah. Three films that Tim Burton has yeah. directed. Edward Scissorhands, um, Batman, and. Um, Oh my god! Oh, Planet of the Apes. He did Planet yes. of the Apes. Yes, yeah. well done. Yeah, I call it completely blank there. It was, you know, what? It was Scissorhands. Is what I was suddenly thinking of recently because of Winona Ryder and of mm. with Beetlejuice. I love his Edward Scissorhands. I need to put it on the list. I think it is on my list actually. Is yeah. it? I like his yeah. early. It's kind of early. When I say early stuff. It's stuff he was doing in the nineties. I liked but everything he's done from Willy Wonka. I suppose forward. I know I haven't been like a huge, huge fan. Mm, I'd agree. But- anyway, let's talk about that when we talk about the Beetlejuice film. But my next question. Yeah is name me three films Winona Ryder has been in. Has she been in Heathers? Yes. Uh, well, Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not fair. Two more, at least. Two more, okay. Yeah, uh, go on. Oh, Winona Ryder. Oh, my God. Um, oh, I can't think. Winona Ryder. Mermaids? Oh, Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula? Yeah. Oh, she's I, been in loads. Um, Reality Bites, Little Women, Boys, Girl Interrupted, Alien Resurrection, Star Trek, Spock's Mum, uh, <laughs> Black Swan, Frank and Weenie. You're listing a lot of ah. I haven't actually seen. <laughs> and Stranger Things, of course, in TV series. But that's, yeah, I asked you for movies. She's awesome in Stranger Things. She is. And do you know what? I was looking at this list and I was thinking, I need to add more of her films on my list even if they're guilty pleasures ones, because they are quite cool, <laughs> quite cool films. Some of these as well. So I did get, I did get three. You did. I let you off. Point yes. that out, even though I knew yeah. none of her catalogue at all, really, apart from those three. I'm taking that. 
Should we go into Beetlejuice as a first first film? I think we should. I think we should. Yeah. So Beetlejuice. Now I watched this of a Sky Store yesterday, and I forgot actually how funny it was. I was chuckling in places, and it's only one hour and thirty two minutes. The kind of film that we like, Rob. It's released in nineteen eighty eight. It was looking at a certification of fifteen, but it's actually twelve on Sky. I'm spotted, so it's a bit of a difference there to what you see on IMDb. It's directed by Tim Burton, who we just mentioned and story and screenplay are by Michael McDowell, uh, Larry Wilson and also Warren Skerrin and interestingly Michael McDowell did Nightmare Before Christmas he's on the story and, and screenplay for that and Warren Skerrin did Batman as well so he's worked with Mr Burton already before but he also Skerrin has also done Top Gun Beverly Hills Cop 2 as well so so some good classic films there also the actors in this film it is using with actors we've got Alec Baldwin a very young Alec Baldwin Gina Davis Winona Ryder Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice Catherine O'Hara and Jeffrey Jones who you may remember as the headmaster from Ferris Bueller as well so we start with Adam who's played by Alec Baldwin and Barbara played by Gina Davis in their perfect life in an amazing looking it's a, like it's a windmill isn't it what house is it it's a, it looks like an old windmill anyway one day they actually go and buy some food or some some DIY stuff from this local store and on their way back unfortunately they have an, an accident next they are back at their home and notice that they can't see themselves in the mirror and they can only presume they didn't survive the crash that they had and new people start to move in uh, and this includes Catherine O'Hara's character Delia, Charles who's Jeffrey Jones and, and Lydia who's Winona Ryder and they're joined by a business partner I believe called Ortho played by Glenn Shaddix and they basically move in and Adam and Barbara are not happy about this and want to scare them for them to move out basically so they try all sorts of things to scare them and they change the, their face make their eyes pop out and all sorts of things but however they try all this stuff but they can't actually be seen at the start of the film by the living however gothic Lydia can see them the whole time and actually becomes friends with them. They end up, however, to try and drive the whole family out, calling on uh, Beetlejuice, and he just causes mayhem, but they know that he will do the job that they want them to do, but then they regret making that call. And Michael Keaton plays Beetlejuice brilliantly. He's very twitchy, and just the words that comes out of his mouth are very quick and brilliant makeup as well. And it won an Oscar for makeup too, so I really enjoyed it. It's one from the 80s, and I must have been about 12 when this came out but I think I watched it later on on either VHS old school here or DVD but I would say it's a good laugh and it brings in beautifully Tim Burton's skills of illustration to real life and his creativity so Rob what did you think it was bonkers I I have (laughs) never seen it before it's like nothing you've ever seen once I finish watching it and it settles back onto like the homepage of the platform and it often say like other films like this, there was only one film on there. They had the Adams family, right? And I think, you know what, that is as close as you get, but that's not really exactly like it. It's so, so unique. And that's what I liked about it. You know, sometimes you watch a film, I don't know, it, it, it ages well. I mean, I thought this was just such a film of the 80s. It just had such an 80s vibe to it. And I was wondering at some points whether 
back in the 80s, 1988, when you watch this, whether it would have had a, a slightly different impact. So, for example, the the scares, should we say, in it, I know it's a comedy, but Michael Keaton's character as Beetlejuice, he's able to create these incredibly scary creatures that are designed to try and get rid of this family. And there is also this the scene where, which again, I suppose, you know, is more comedic, Alec Baldwin's character and Gina Davis's character, when they're asked to try and, you know, the, you've, you've let the spell book get into the wrong hands of Otto and, um, you know, you, people have taken photos of you, you you've got to sort it out, you, you know, you've got to step up to the plate and be scared and they do these yeah. amazing things with their faces. Yeah. The recently deceased book, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> and so whilst that, the stuff of them doing the stuff with the faces is funny, this bit where the family come out of the loft, having gone up there, assuming the ghosts are going to be up there when the teenage daughter eventually kind of spills the beans, they work it out. And they walk out and Catherine O'Hara, the mum's character, puts her hand on the rail and suddenly the railing of the staircase becomes like a snake skin and you get this massive weird snake-like creature i was watching it thinking would that have been quite scary back then or would it have all just been comedy scary because like, i couldn't work out whether the effects back then would have been mm, you know would have been quite cool because the effects now you watch and obviously the effects are not that great but it doesn't really matter but it, they do stand out to be not that good because it's 1988 and what they're yeah. trying to do you know this if you're watching a film now it would be flawless so i was i was kind of wondering what the impact was of watching it back then and technically compared to now and i couldn't really work it out but did you notice the animation of the snake or the weird sharky looking character was very similar to how he did the nightmare before christmas and yes you know yes, all that kind that's of a good stuff point. yeah that's a good point point. and what was that land that they because i don't know that's why should that have been taken out i don't i don't really know that seemed to be the device by which you know they're not allowed out of the house so their instinct is mm. they could just run away from the house but once they become dead they can't leave the house if they leave the house effectively they end up in this world this like no man's land no yeah. man's land where there's horrible creatures and you don't want yeah. to be in no man's land. so they're almost forced to stay in the house but that's quite that was quite trippy I thought that kind of no man's land and in actual fact thinking about the whole thing it's it's quite completely left field and in some ways quite mm. trippy in an 80s kind of way um I just got a real thrill from seeing the cast at that age yes Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis and like you say Reiner and of course if you watch Ferris Bueller, it's the first thing you think of when you see the father character in it. I happen to be watching a lot of Shit's Creek at the moment on TV, which stars Catherine O'Hara, but I don't know much about Catherine O'Hara. I know she was in Home Alone, but I don't really know a lot of her history. So right. seeing her in it was a real joy. Yeah. And of course, Michael Keaton. And of course, not having seen the film, that's what I know that he's the star of the film, as it were. But it takes a while for him to actually appear in the film. So I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for that to happen. And when it does, it kind of shifts into a completely different gear, doesn't it? It's suddenly got loads more energy and <laughs> characters. Bonkers. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. It's almost like it's like someone got up to Michael Keaton and said, right, here's the role. We're filming in an hour. Just go for it. Just quickly throw it, just yeah. quickly throw it together. And, and it feels almost very improvised. I wonder how much of it was. Because it, it's very raw. 
<laughs> so say, it just feels like it's all off the cuff. And it's kissing kissing Gina Davis as you know character Barbara, and wants to marry Winona Ryder's character Lydia. <laughs> <laughs> he's all over them, isn't he? He's just like a, a rash. And then he's a bit he's a bit pervy, isn't he, really? No, no, yeah, well, exactly. There are, it's the usual thing. When you watch films from the 80s, often there are a few lines you think that. They, they would go away with those. Uh, wasn't that when Carry On ended, I think, in the 80s? <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. But my, my favourite part of it was the ending, because there was this song and dance number at the end. Which I just thought was awesome. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I say that, but when that came on, I just had such a smile on my face. I could have watched that go on forever. It felt like just such a joyous way to finish the film. And it perfectly summed up what the film should do. It's just pure, daft, silly entertainment, a completely left field. And I really liked it. It did take me a while because I actually found it quite slow. To begin with, there were parts, yeah. As it set the scene. But yeah, I warmed to it. It got better as it went along. And then, of course, as soon as Beetlejuice appears, I mean, I'm new to this whole Beetlejuice. And I know a lot of people, you know, see it as a kind of a 80s classic. Like the, the way in which they build the model of the town in, in the attic. Yeah, I think that's cool. Beetlejuice is almost trapped as a mini figure until someone calls his name. I thought that was quite clever. I like they were the... digging him out of the plastic um, grass. Yeah, but also some of the set looked almost quite kitsch, quite cheap. But again, I was watching it thinking, is it supposed to be like that because it's so trippy and wacky and crazy? Or again, is that just because it's 1988? But then I realised that some of the set, of course, is supposed to be literally part of the model on the table and hence why it looks quite... Yeah. Well, I think the decor in the house, the main house is supposed to look a bit twee, isn't it? Because that's their taste and their friend had had decorated the house for them. And then as soon as the new family move in, they're a bit more designery and trendy. I would say more on the Gothic side and they completely change it. It didn't cost that much to make. It cost fifteen million to make, and that's including the, the cast salaries as well. And you know, we've got the likes of Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. They've done a couple of films because they've both been filming since nineteen eighty two, but this was probably their their biggest break, I would say. Um, and then the same for Winona Ryder. That she's done did a couple of films before this one, but this was her definitely her biggest break, and, and then went on to do some great things after, as we've discussed. So for those that want to know how much it made, it, it made seventy four million dollars worldwide gross. So not a huge amount. You get films that have more budget that make more money, but it's fairly low budget really for a film like this. Yeah, and it's quite clearly turned into this cult classic. Cultish, yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, music's brilliant, though. It was it. Is it Trio? I know there's a chocolate bar called Trio, wasn't there? And they did the Trio advert, but the music was very cool. I have to say, it was it was in my head afterwards. Uh, and the and way that um, they were trying to speak the, the family and they just took over their bodies and end up having the prawns as fingers. And it's sort of the hand of the prawns goes on their faces and then they, the family and the guests that are there lo- absolutely love it and then want to turn the whole village almost into a, like a, a ghostly business. I also yeah. think it's amazing that Michael Keaton having done Beetlejuice, it's incredible to think that after doing Beetlejuice, literally a year later, he's in Batman. With his deep husky voice. Yeah, and really, <laughs> ever since Batman, he's on the whole been in dramatic roles. 
you know, I know there's going to be a Beetlejuice 2 coming out. And, you know, I heard him interviewed not too long ago making that point that he hasn't really done, you know, no one no one really thinks of Michael Keaton in a comedy role. But of course, that's actually really what made him originally was, was Beetlejuice. I mean, obviously, Batman made him even bigger because of the nature of the film. But I mean, I know, and I, when I was watching it, knowing that there's going to be a second one, I was wondering, well, what are they going to do with this? Because in some ways, because of the whole look of it, it feels cult-like in so much as I found it, found it looked a bit rough around the edges and a bit raw. It's almost like someone's imagination just being ripped out of their head and thrown on a screen, which is what I kind of liked about it. And it was just a bit mad and bonkers and left field. So... I was curious to know, I think, I hope they don't make another one quite slick and yeah, as I bring yeah, up to date, but I don't know. I, I, I'd be interesting, I suppose, to see what they do. And also, what more can you do about the story? The yeah. story was, I mean, I always find a, a new narrative, I suppose, but I really liked it. I found it quite amusing and strange and weird and joyful in parts. And it's like, wow, what was that? <laughs> when uh, I, I was curious to see what you would think of it, actually, because I knew you hadn't watched it. So I can't believe some of the films actually that Tim Burton has done he named a couple earlier but he's done Alice in Wonderland Dumbo Sweeney Todd I remember him doing Sweeney Todd but I didn't realise he did those two as well and Planet of the Apes I was surprised that he did as well Sleepy Hollow, Mars Attacks, and, you know, the Batman and Batman Returns were when it was a bit more, not as dark, I would say, the Batman series there. It was a bit more jokey because I remember it had Penguin with Danny DeVito. I think it was the same time as uh, Jack Nicholson was the Joker around that period. And I, I, I it's much darker these days. Oh, yeah, it was it's much darker. Although when I think back to watching Batman at the time, for the time it came out, it felt like a quite a cool, slick, dark rendition of Batman. You're right, Jack Nicholson was a bit like your funny uncle. But everything now with superhero films is almost like has to get darker, has to get grittier, has to be more about the origins. Yeah. But that did completely start the whole superhero. You know, I know there was Superman before that and Spider-Man had only really been on TV before that. But Batman really kicked the whole mm. thing off, didn't it? Mm. I would say, actually, we talked about Wonder Woman last couple of weeks. I would say, actually, those Batman films were on a similar level as Wonder Woman, the recent one, I would say had that sort of jokey approach to it but better i would say better than wonder woman yeah, yeah personally yeah, i mean i always yeah. i i love the first batman mm, film mm-hmm. But it's, it's such a good combo of actors. I mean, Alec Baldwin, he, I mean, he's been in Working Girl after this. He's done The Hunt for Red October, The Jura with Demi Moore, Notting Hill. And I didn't realise he's even done Thomas the Tank Engine in the US. <laughs> he's the, uh, the narrator for that. And then we've got Gina Davis, who she did start with a big film, which is Tootsie, with Dustin Hoffman. She did quite a few TV series, did The Fly, I suppose that kind of propelled her into the limelight. But Beetlejuice, even projector and even more. And then Thelma and Louise, of course, after that in 91. I loved A League of Their Own. And I really liked The Long Kiss Goodnight as well. You know, I like a, a good female assassin. And she was good in that. <laughs> so, uh, so, and she's done Stuart Little. And, and more recently, I've seen her in Grey's Anatomy, the TV series. And I think, I think, I don't know whether someone needs to check this. <laughs> so I just tried to think off the top of my head. I'm fairly sure that Gina Davis took time out of Hollywood to 
try and make it as an Olympic archer, which I know sounds really? completely yeah, I know that sounds completely random, but I'm I'm sure I remember hearing about that. But um, yeah, I think of Gina Davis and and I think of the fly and I think of Thelma Louise. I haven't seen is it the long goodbye? The long, the long kiss, kiss goodnight. goodnight. I haven't seen the long kiss goodnight. Uh, I have, I have seen a league of their own a good while ago. She's a great screen presence, and yeah. like you say, Alec Baldwin's had an amazingly prolific career he's in so many films he tends to churn them out um mm-hmm. and he's a regular on saturday night live as well isn't he he's he's very good at comedies good at dramatic roles yeah and and michael keaton's ha- having you know ever since um birdman and spotlights you know he's he's had a complete renaissance really mm-hmm since you know 2014 and so it's great to see him come back to the fore and obviously a joy to see him as this crazy crazy character so i am gonna give this i'm gonna give it seven out of ten just because it was a, just a kind of a joy to watch. It's very difficult to describe Beetlejuice in a, in a strange way um mm. yeah it was just it was just a joy to watch on that you notice it said Beetle guys quite yes, a lot. Yes. And I've just looked it up and it's a star. It's the tenth brightest star in the night sky. I thought it was just like a German word smelling Beetlejuice, to be honest, but it's not. It's a star. So I don't know what the connection is. It probably says on IMDB. I haven't looked it up this week, but one for our listeners to come back to us if they know. There you go. And also I have just done some fact checking and yeah, Gina Davis was also a talented archer at one point she was the 13th best archer in the united states Mm. finished 24th out of 300 women trying out for the 2000 olympics Mm. there you go so i really liked it thought it was very colorful i love the fact that they're bringing in at that stage animation and real life it was it was released the same year as who framed roger rabbit which did exactly the same and it did plod along a little bit. I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of ten. Oh, there we go. I think that's about right. I think that's about right. Mm-hmm. So second film then, Synchronic. Yep. I mean, you couldn't get further removed from the comedy and the zaniness of Beetlejuice. So Synchronic. Dark, yeah, dark very film. Very dark, yeah. So this is a new release. This was on Amazon Prime, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, and written by Justin Benson, starring Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan. We've got two paramedics and good friends, Steve, Anthony Mackie and Dennis, played by Jamie Dornan. Steve is single, bit of a ladies' man, and Dennis is the kind of family man with wife Tara and daughter Brianna. And both of them have pretty much... Well, both of them have got pretty troubled lives, really. Mm-hmm. They both come across as two guys completely cut adrift in life, stuck, I suppose, with nothing to live for. I mean, we've got... And, and these personal stories are slowly eke out during the film as they go about their work shifts. So Dennis's life is falling apart. He's got a marriage on the rocks. His teenage daughter is becoming more and more unruly. He's got a newborn baby, which is just compounding his problems. You've got Steve, who drinks, has one night 
it stands and he's kind of haunted by the death of a family member. As I say, they're both stuck, it seems, in time, which I suppose, thinking about it, ties in with the main part of the film and kind of nothing to live for. So at the beginning of the film, they're called out to the first of a series of locations where people are either dead, some quite brutally, and some in an injured or zombie-like state. So, you know, you've got one person stabbed by a sword, another's completely burned alive. And after some investigation, they discover it relates to a new designer drug called Synchronic, which has been doing the rounds on the streets. This drug is discovered to affect the pineal gland and makes the user literally travel through time when they take a pill, a synchronic pill. And what's more, since teenagers have an underdeveloped pineal gland when they take it there's a danger that they may not return i'm not going to get into the detail of this but the reason that's important is twofold so steve starts to piece this together and whilst he's doing this he's trying to track down the guy who made the drug guy called dr kamani where it's explained to him what this drug does and he's called into hospital as well for a scan which shows he's got this inoperable brain tumor and he learns he may just have potentially six weeks to live But interestingly, the doctor comments after his scan that his pineal gland resembles that of a teenager. So you start to realize that, okay, this guy might have the same kind of ability if he took this drug to go back in time. And subsequently, that's exactly what he does. He takes the pill. He arrives at the exact spot that he left from, but in a completely different time period. So whilst he does this and he's starting to understand what this drug does, one call out, they find themselves at one of Brianna's friend's house who've been having a party and it's quite clear they have all been taking the drug and Brianna so this is Dennis's daughter is missing from the scene and so Steve works out that she's most likely as unbelievable isn't it, could have taken the drug and, and effectively teleported back in time and she's stuck she can't get back so this kind of kickstarts a whole series of experiments that Steve then takes on and it becomes his personal mission to find out exactly what the laws of this whole time-traveling drug are in the hope that he can find Brianna stuck back in time and bring her back. So whilst that actually sounds quite a kind of cool (laughs) setup and quite intriguing, I think well, I'm going to throw this over to you first. I keep, <laughs> I keep forgetting, like, it's not for me to talk about it straight away. Anyway, it's one of the films. I mean, Sarah and I are now doing watch-alongs, aren't we? So we're yeah, watching- on the new films. It's, it's nice, actually, yeah. That allows us to comment as we go along on the chat and have a little chat afterwards. So I've had a little taster of Sarah's thoughts. And my husband's thoughts. I think and he had Chris's thoughts than, as well, yeah, exactly. more to say than I did, I think. So... <laughs> And did you mention that it was made in 2019 and digitally released? I didn't know. So you're right. So this was one of the many films that may have come out. The cinema was delayed and has come out on digital. I, I mean, it's interesting. I, oh, I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> you tell us what you think of it. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because this film has had quite mixed feedback. It's got four out of five in Empire, 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Mark Maid on his podcast with Simon Mayo felt that it was also lacking in some areas and wasn't as good necessarily as some of the director's previous films. I looked up to see what the director had done before, and I've not really seen any of those films today either, but they tend to look like a horror thrillers that Justin Benson has, has directed before. The concept was very different. I like that. Normally, it would take a machine to take you back in time, 
let's just say, to a different place, like Bill and Ted, a time traveller's wife, the prestige, for example. However, I've never seen a pill do that. And I thought that was very bizarre. I would say I wish they had stayed a bit longer in one of the past times, explored a bit more, had a bit more challenges going on there whilst they hunted for Brianna. But it, it didn't really happen. And it was just so very dark and morbid the whole time. And there's no light that came of it apart from right at the end. But I did like the fact it was a bit different. And some of the shots they took were seamless. So one minute he was in, I think he was in the past. And the next minute he was in the, in the ambulance, for example. And I also like the fact that it was a paramedic's perspective and not the police. Because normally the police would go in there and start investigating. Instead, it was a paramedic. And I've, I don't think I've seen any TV series or another film where it's about paramedics doing investigations. So a slightly interesting angle from that perspective. I felt Brianna was a little bit old for her part as well. I don't know how old she is because it doesn't say on IMDb. So she probably is under 18. But she, I believe she was supposed to be playing like a 17, 18-year-old girl. But she just came across as a lot older. She looked like a mid-20s to me for some reason. And also Jamie Dornan, he looked very young to have a really much older daughter. But he could, you know, could start his family quite young, I suppose. So I've not seen many films with Jamie Dornan. I know he's from Northern Ireland. He started his career in 2006. He was in Marion Toinette with Kirsten Dunst. He played Christian Grey in Rob's favourite movie series, uh, Fifty Shades. Absolutely love and, it. <laughs> and uh, he's more recently been in The Fall as well, which has been getting a lot of hype on. I think it's Netflix. I think it's on at the moment. A lot of people have recommended that to, to watch that one. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's great to see Anthony Mackie as well. I mean, he's, he's just recently been in Outside the wire on netflix he's been falcon in, in avenger series but i didn't realize he'd been in in eight mile with m&m he'd been in the hurt locker the adjustment bureau he's done quite a lot actually so it's nice to see him doing more sort of actiony films and certainly seems to be more on streaming through the digital channels at the moment and doing maybe slightly um, less big budget films however i would say the last few films he's been doing are more sci-fi focused so maybe he's leaning more on that side i don't know what else to say really to be honest i was a little bit surprised that the one paramedic didn't know that the other one was ill because he was throwing up all the time i guess he just thought it was down to drinking so much uh, but he actually had cancer so i was a bit surprised by that it was just very dark i do like the concept but go on you're itching to tell us your thoughts go on Oh, I think you said it a couple of times there, and I mentioned it before. The concept, I think, is really good. And mm. it looks quite a handsome film. The look of it, the feel of it, there are some really, like you say, clever cross-cutting, like you say, when they show a character in one position and they cut them in exactly the same position but in a different time or location. Nice little creative techniques which make it, again, a bit different. It reminded me of Seven only in so much as like the film opens with them mm. coming onto a murder scene or what you think is a murder scene. It, it's nowhere near as good or dark mm. as, as Seven, but I mean, the whole feel of it, the setup, the start was all very intriguing mm. and they're very dour characters. And I think that was the main problem for me. I thought it would get going. I thought it would move up a gear and it's almost like I couldn't really tell where the first act, second act and third ha- act happened because 
although there were clear points where the narrative moved forward, I never really felt like I was invested in in the characters because they're both so troubled, but they're also both, I don't know, I didn't find them particularly likeable. And the best parts for me in it were when you saw Steve... And these were scenes which was just him, really, doing the time travelling, working out exactly how it all works. He's in his flat, he's, he's putting markers on the floor, and he works out that if he moves yeah. two or three metres to the right and does it yeah. and goes back in time again, he goes to a completely different point in time. And then he experiments to see whether, you know, takes his dog with him to see whether he can take objects or beings, as it were, back with him. That particular part was the most pacing and most enjoyable bit of it for me. Yeah. And of course, because no adults can, you're led to believe that no adults have the ability to take the pill and go back in time. Dennis, therefore, you wouldn't have been able to do this. But Steve never, like you say, mentions this to Dennis until very late once he's done all this time traveling. So it's like, Dennis, you only ever really see him with all his problems at home with his marriage and his daughter. And I don't know, I just felt they were both kind of living in these two worlds and as you say why didn't Steve tell Dennis about the cancer and although like they kind of have a thing with yeah. it at the end but it was just quite ploddy I think I said it to you I felt there was a really good film in there that really wanted to get out and at times you could see signs of it but it just never quite did it never quite got going it never quite delivered on the promise I thought I think it brushed over quite a few areas and I think it could have gone deeper into some of the areas like as I said when they were in a different time really delved much deeper into that which would have made it more a bit more they did try and do that but it, it they brushed it they didn't have much time <laughs> to to delve into it so um yeah i think that was the only thing but i mean it's it's a good watch for the concept overall i think it's you know i don't want to deter any any listeners off it it has split audiences has it hasn't it it's yeah bit, to be yeah. honest it's a bit like wonder woman so some i mean that was like it's <laughs> yeah. a similar kind in terms of it's been received by well by some and not and yeah. not so much yeah. by others i also also wanted to make the point that you know these were supposed to be two friends like you know like really close friends who worked together and yet that friendship was never really shown through any of the narrative we won't talk about the ending but the impact of the climax, I felt, wasn't as strong because I don't think they really convinced you of just how strong this friendship was supposed to be mm. between these two characters. Yeah. And I think if they had done a better job of doing that, I, I think they would have had a far bigger dramatic and emotional effect with how mm. the film winds up at the end. I thought one of their theories that they mentioned earlier in the film also wasn't fulfilled at the end of the film. I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah, there was a few flaws. It in could, it. They, they could have done something at the end which would have been a happier ending and it should have been done because actually it was a theory earlier in the film that would actually happen well it's, now it, i've confused everyone well i know precisely <laughs> but to be honest there's a lot to talk about about that ending yeah you know because some can argue it's a sad ending some could argue it's a happy ending and i not talk <laughs> it's probably best we don't carry on talking about it because we can't really give much context away but um yeah I think the way in which this film wraps up does, I think, go back to how this, how these guys almost are not wanting to be in the lives they are in, but they don't mm. know how to get out of them. Do they want to be in the lives they want to be in or do they want to be somewhere else? 
and and I think that's an interesting. I think that plays out in quite an interesting way, but doesn't quite have the emotional impact it could have done. Yeah, and just one th- other thing: there was a bit they touched on with because Anthony Mackie is is a black man. They also touched on some of that throughout the film. He you knows goes back in time and he's civil war he's a slave he goes back in time and he's in hillbilly land and he's chased out you know out of the area but then he has some more positive moments as well in other scenes as well so it was interesting to see it from that perspective too so i'll give this i think i'm going to give this seven and a half actually the same as beetlejuice yeah i am too i think you're right i I think it's definitely worth seeing for the concept and who knows it's quite clearly having a bigger impact on some people than others so definitely worth seeing yeah no it's still good score definitely worth watching so that leads us on to our new film for this week what is it rob so I think we've talked about this before. You're probably going to find that, every, you know, we're going to be talking about films you may not even have heard of. Because I think what we're trying to do is find films that on the whole tend to be reviewed quite well, but not necessarily the films that are going to be advertised everywhere, like a Wonder Woman, for example. So we have gone for a crime drama film called The White Tiger. And this is directed by Ramin Barani, an ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top, an epic journey based on the New York Times bestseller. So I haven't even seen the trailer for this, but we know that it's been getting pretty good write-ups. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and also it's something a bit different. We did have a few other options. Some were more in that kind of sci-fi realm, but this is something quite different. And this is on Netflix as well. It has got Priyanka Chopra that's in it as well, and she's been in quite a few films before. The other actors I don't really know as well. Probably is worth saying that. So this stars Adash, Garav, Rakuma Rao and Priyanka Chopra are the three kind of main, mm-hmm. the main stars in this. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to that. So it's my turn to pick one of yours this week. It is action. Action, right. Okay. Lights, camera and action. So I have... Mm. 17. 17, that's quite a small number. I know. How many have I got? How many do I have? I have 36. I obviously like actions more. Take your pick. 15, please. 15. I mean, this is a classic. Oh, go on then. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I was thinking we should have those on our list at some point. Raiders of the Lost Ark, brilliant. Is that the first one? That is the first one, isn't it? That's the first one, yeah. Yeah, because there's Temple of Doom, isn't there, which comes after. And then there's the third one with Sean Connery, which was uh, The Last Crusade. The Last Crusade, that's right, that was his. Mm. So... This is it, I don't know what to say. Can't compete with this. Okay, as if anyone actually needed reminding. So this is directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Lawrence Kasdan, George Lucas, and Philip Kaufman, starring Harrison Ford. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the US government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis 
can obtain its awesome powers. Wow. Clench my fist when you said gotta that. Watch at the it. End. Gotta watch it, haven't you? Yeah, it's good. So it's streaming on Sky at the moment and on Now TV, and you can rent and buy on all other digital channels. But if you listen to this later, just have a look at your digital channels anyway. I was just looking at the film poster. They got the film poster on IMDb. Indiana Jones, the new hero from the creators of Jaws and Star Wars. I mean, like, what a what an ad. Uh, Spielberg is fantastic. I was going to say, he is, he is good. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, so we've got a crime drama in The White Tiger and all-out classic adventure with Indiana Jones. Ah, you can't go wrong with Indiana Jones. Really good. Wow. Looking forward to those, Rob. Absolutely. Well, look, have another good week and... Yep. We'll probably better catch up a bit more on WandaVision if we both manage to get to episode yeah. four. Episode two for me. <laughs> I'm on episode two at the moment, yeah. Ah, good. Yes, well, thanks very much, Rob. And thank you to our listeners. Thanks for listening. All righty, see you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye.